Hey everybody, Brad here. Just wanted to let you know that this episode has been slightly edited since it originally aired. So just in case it sounds like something jumps ahead or cuts off, I just wanted to let you know ahead of time. I always take a lot of pride in editing and releasing these episodes, but every now and then something has to be edited out after the fact. Anyway, I think there is still a lot here to enjoy, so sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of the Jurassic Park Podcast. Everyone... Remain calm. Back for more, huh? Yeah, ooh, ah, that's how it always starts. But then later there's running and then screaming. Somebody talk to me! What is happening? Welcome to Jurassic World. And now, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the Jurassic Park Podcast. How long is it going to take for that to spread around the globe? This was all John Hammond's dream. <laughs> Hold on to your butt. <laughs> Seriously? Well, we're back. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 256th episode of the Jurassic Park Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Jost, and we're here to discuss all things Jurassic Park. In today's episode, we kick things off by checking in with the Jurassic Kids to hear from Annabelle and Gabby Coke, as well as their friends as they head out to the drive-in movie theater to watch none other than Jurassic Park on the big screen. So that'll be our first segment for today. And then after that, we debut a brand new segment here from Connor O'Keefe, where he digs deep to give you some really interesting and fun takes on the science behind the dinosaurs that we see in the Jurassic films. I know we teased uh, this segment a few weeks ago during Tom Fishenden's Innovation Center episode with Connor, where they discussed uh, the behind the scenes of a real museum. Well, today, Tom joins Connor to talk about a few species of dinosaurs that we see within the films. Stay tuned to the segment to hear exactly what species they're going to be discussing. I am very, very excited to bring this segment uh, to the podcast, finally. These were some, uh, there's, we have two uh, coming sometime. We have this one and another one sometime, and these were recorded a little while back, so I'm so excited to finally bring them here to the podcast. And Connor is going to bring his wealth of knowledge on, uh, you know, dinosaurs and the species and everything, just so you guys know a little bit more about these things than what you see on the screen, because that's not always the most accurate accurate uh, representation of these things, right? I mean, we all know that. Come on. But before we get into any of the segments here today, uh, let's go ahead and take care of some quick business over on the website. Last week, Tom Fishenden wrote up a great article here uh, about his new initiative called Cretaceous Christmas. So he is launching hashtag Cretaceous Christmas to bring a lot of joy and, and good spirit here, positive vibes and everything to Jurassic fans on Christmas Day. He is going to be collecting uh, a bunch of submissions up until the 18th of December, video submissions kind of just putting out positive vibes. So look at the article on our website if you want more information about where to send your stuff and how to participate. He does have a video announcing the initiative as well, so make sure to watch that too. It is embedded into the article there. So please go to our website, JurassicParkPodcast.com, to check out that article. Also, this week we do have a few articles coming your way, so make sure to keep your eyes peeled over at the website as well. Shifting over to YouTube, uh, we did have a toy hunt and a Lego build last week. So last week I uh, 
I uploaded a toy hunt where I think I went to Walmart. Oh, yeah. And uh, it wasn't that exciting. <laughs> That's a huge hype for my video, I know. But uh, Walmart's never my favorite place. But, um, you know, I did find some stuff there. Anyway, the next thing I did was a Lego build with my son Lincoln. We actually put together uh, one of the one and only Lego Jurassic set that I have. And it was a lot of fun. We, we put the thing together. Uh, he's not all that great at doing it just yet but uh i loved building these things with him and i've i've done a few of them so far and uh this one was just as fun and we've been playing with the thing non-stop afterwards so i love it it's the little airplane set it's really really cool so go check out that video i did want to do a live stream but i just ran out of time guys so i know i kind of promised it last week but uh maybe maybe we'll do it again this week i don't know uh <laughs> we'll see i'd like to do a live stream i do have some other videos for you toy hunts probably probably like two toy hunts uh and if i can come up with anything else but yes please go to our youtube channel subscribe follow along we've always got some fun stuff over there for you guys what do you say we go ahead and kick this episode off by heading out to the movies to find out just exactly what the jurassic kids thought about jurassic park at the drive-in Kids okay? I didn't ask. Why wouldn't they be? They smell. Kids get scared. Spend a little time with our target audience. Grandpa! Kids! Think it'll scare the kids? The kids? This will give appearance nightmares. So? Oh, cool night vision. Mommy's very angry. I don't want that kid, that breed of child. Dr. Grant could be intriguing. What do we do? We search for your son. Unclear! Okay, yeah. No, I'm gonna have to go. My nephews are here. Look, they're noisy, they're messy, they're expensive. I mean, what's so wrong with kids? They smell. They do not Some smell. of them smell. Oh, Baby smell. Hi, guys. Welcome back to Jurassic Kids. It's Annabelle Coke, Gabby Coke, and we have two special guests, our neighbors. Hi, guys. I'm Kennedy Slyke, and I'm so happy to be on this podcast. Hi, guys. It's Tess Slyke, and I... Um, this is actually my first time watching a movie, and I'm so happy to be here. It's yes. actually a full movie. She hasn't even watched five minutes of a full time movie. Hi, um, we are at the drive-in movie theater, and we are going to be watching Jurassic Park. So we're going to be stating our top five characters, our top five dinosaurs, and our top five parts. So see you after the movie. Bye! So we watched the movie. What do you think? We'll start with Kennedy. Um, I thought it was super cool. It was really surprising because he didn't know what was going to happen next. And I love the dinosaurs. They were super cool to watch. And yeah. And we'll have Tess next. I thought the cars were cool because I like the colors of all of them. And I thought the movie was pretty cool. And now we'll have Gabby. And my well, the dinosaurs were really cool, and what? And I love the cars and all the stuff they do. Now, my stop. So I think I actually think it's the best Jurassic Park out of the series. I really loved it. So yeah, and we um. So now we'll do our top five characters. Well, start with number five and go to number one. Now, Kennedy, how about you? 
Um, my fifth favorite character is Malcolm. My fifth favorite character is Malcolm. And my um, fifth favorite character is Tim. And now do our fourth. And let's start with Kennedy again. My fourth favorite character is John Hammond. Mine is, my fourth favorite character is Grant. My fourth favorite character is Lex. And let's do third with Kennedy again. Uh, mine is Alan Grant. And we'll have Gabby. And my third favorite is Lex. And my third favorite is Hammond. And now we'll start with Kennedy again. Um, my second favorite character is Ellie. And now Gabby. My second favorite character is Tim. My second favorite character is Malcolm. And my second favorite character is Malcolm. And now Kennedy. Uh, my first favorite character is Tim. My and Gabby. My first favorite character is Hammond. Uh, Tess? My fav first favorite character is Hammond. And my favorite character is Ellie. Now we'll do our dinosaurs. And Kennedy, start again. Uh, my fifth favorite is the Dilophosaurus. And now Gabby? My fifth favorite character. No. Dinosaur was the Dilophosaurus. <laughs> was the Velociraptor. And my fifth favorite is the T-Rex. And my fifth favorite is the Triceratops. And Kennedy again. <laughs> my fourth favorite dinosaur is the Triceratops. Gabby? My fourth favorite dinosaur is the Dilophosaurus. My fourth favorite is the Velociraptor. And my fourth favorite is the Triceratops. <laughs> and now Kennedy. My third favorite dinosaur is the T-Rex. My third favorite dinosaur is um Calamites. <laughs> My third favorite dinosaur is Calamites. My third favorite dinosaur is the Loster after. <laughs> now, Kennedy? Uh, my second favorite is the Velociraptor. <laughs> my second favorite is, My second favorite one is the T-Rex. And my second favorite is the Dilophosaurus. My second favorite is the Triceratops. <laughs> and Kennedy? Uh, my favorite dinosaur of all time is the Brachiosaurus. My first favorite one of the whole entire movie, dinosaur of the whole entire movie is the Triceratops. And my favorite is the Brachiosaurus. And my favorite is the Triceratops. <laughs> and now we will do our top five parts. We'll start in with Kennedy again.
Uh, my fifth favorite part is when they get in that car accident and the car gets stuck in the tree and they have to escape from it. And Gabby? My fifth favorite part was a sick, sick type. The sick type. Try to Okay, now my fifth yes. favorite part is when the gal mammoths are running through the fields. I mean the valley, so yeah. And the T-Rex tries to eat him, so yeah. And who's going next? Kennedy? Um, my fourth favorite part is when they, um, are in the kitchen getting chased by all the dinosaurs. Now, Gabby? My fourth favorite part is the ba the hatching baby raptor. And my fourth favorite, um, part is when Mr. DNA is telling them how, um, they made all the dinosaurs. And now it's Kennedy? Uh, my third favorite part is when they when the power goes out. My third favorite part is the raptors in raptors in kitchen. And my third favorite part is the T Rex attack when um, Ian Malcolm says, "You gotta go, you gotta go." And who's going next? Tess. And my favorite part was when they had the um, outbreak. The T-Rex breakout, okay. Kennedy? Uh, my uh, second favorite part is when the T-Rex attacks. My second favorite, second favorite part. Second favorite part is when they shut down the system. And my second favorite part is when they shut off the power too. And Tess? And my favorite part, second part, is when um, the monk, the baby lostraptor, um, velociraptor, um, hatches. Okay. Now, Kennedy? Uh, my favorite part is after they get out of the car, they climb into that big tree and they look out and see all of the uh, brachiosauruses. Okay, Gabby? My first favorite part was the T-Rex breakout. And my first favorite part is when they climb the big tree and Tim says, I hate trees and Lex says I don't mind them and then Tim says well you were in the last one and it and they are sleeping with the brachiosaurus my favorite part was the when they um, when they um, had the breakout okay Mine. and that's all for today and yeah, see you next time. Bye. 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 Well, maybe dinosaurs have more in common with present-day birds than they do with reptiles.
You do understand these are actual animals, right? You read about them in books, you see the bones in museums, but you don't really believe it. You should hear a four-year-old try to say Archaeornithomimus. I read both of your books. You like dinosaurs back then. All vertebrate embryos are inherently female anyway. They just require an extra hormone given at the right developmental stage to make them male. You know that I'm not at liberty to reveal the asset's genetic makeup. Nothing in Jurassic World is natural. You will see a herd of the first dinosaurs on our tour, called Dilophosaurus. How would you classify it, Billy? Suchomimus snout. No, think bigger. Baryonyx. Spinosaurus aegypticus. Actually, Charlie, those are herbivores. They really wouldn't be interested in fighting with each other. But these ones here are carnivores, and they really like fighting with each other. They use their teeth and their claws to rip each other's throats out. Al, he's three. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the new segment here on the Jurassic Park podcast. This is Dino DNA, and in this segment, we're going to be exploring the creatures seen in the Jurassic films. We're going to have a look at their designs and uh, kind of compare those to the real-life extinct animals that inspired them. And for this first episode today, we're going to be joined by the great Tom Jurassic... Hey, how's everyone doing? I'm really excited to be on this new segment. I think it's going to be a lot of fun, so I'm excited to dive into it. Um, why don't you introduce yourself as our brand new host as well? I feel like people who haven't listened to our Innovation Centre segment should get to know who you are as well. That sounds good, yeah. <laughs> Hi everyone, um, I'm Connor. Um, I work in museums education. Um, just a disclaimer... Uh, neither of us are paleontologists, but we both do our research and we both <laughs> yeah. really, really love these movies and dinosaurs, uh, much like everyone who listens does. Um, so we're really looking forward to kind of deep diving into these creatures and seeing what the, the science is behind what we see in the movies. Um, obviously, in many cases, uh, they vary quite a lot from their real world counterparts. Um, and that's kind of because paleontology is a constantly progressing field with new discoveries every year. Um, I, and I also want to say, I'm sure you can agree, Tom, uh, that this is in no way a critique of the films at all. No, it's, no, it's not. It's kind of like just looking at what's there already and kind of breaking down why they might have made certain decisions because um, obviously films are very different to real life and sometimes you yeah. need creatures to do things that aren't necessarily realistic, but that look cool for the camera. So it's very much going to be a case of looking at those parallels. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's a bit of a, a bugbear of mine actually sometimes when people say, oh, Jurassic Park got this wrong. It's like <laughs> more like, no, we just didn't really know this stuff yet. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the dinosaurs in the original film were cutting-edge depictions for the most part, and lots of paleontology is educated guesses uh, with theories based on fossil evidence. So there's a lot of artistic leeway whenever you're <laughs> recreating dinosaurs. Um, so, yeah, what dinosaurs are we going to be looking at today? Okay, so today we are going to be looking at Spinosaurids. 
Um, and I do want to pretext this by saying, just because I know there's going to be some people who will be excited and we might be looking at certain animals. Um, as much as we would love to look at creatures like, say, Suchomimus, for example, which is on the Jurassic World website, uh, we are going to be looking in this segment at animals which have actually appeared in the films purely so we can kind of speculate on their behaviorism in the films yeah. and on other aspects which you just wouldn't be able to get from a 2d render and a description um so yeah i guess connor why don't you explain a little bit more about spinosaurids broadly um and kind of some of the history behind them as a particular group of dinosaurs yeah perfect um well spinosaurids they're a great one to start on because they are some of the strangest of theropods, so that's yeah. the group that includes meat-eating dinosaurs, carnivores. Um, they're generally very large. Um, most of them are way bigger than an average human person, uh, bigger than horses, very large dinosaurs. And um, as a group, they were first discovered in the year 1912, so over 100 years ago uh, in Egypt. And the first Spinosaurid discovered was actually Spinosaurus. Um, it was actually named after the weird spines that they found uh, attached to the vertebrae, the backbones. Uh, we'll get into a bit of that later, but it was, it was named Spined Lizard of Egypt, Spinosaurus aegypticus. And uh, Spinosaurids were found uh, all over the world during the Cretaceous period. You've got Spinosaurids in uh, Africa, like that Spinosaurus, and Suchomimus, which I'm sure many people will have heard of. Um, also got the classic Baryonyx, which we will be discussing later from Europe. Yep. And um, also in South uh, America as well, um, such as Irritator, which I think is due to be released as a Mattel action figure. Very yeah, cool. it is. It's got a really funky looking kind of like jawline that's got yeah. some almost like buck teeth going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, what's really interesting about Spinosaurids is um, they evolved from a group of dinosaurs called uh, Megalosaurs. Um, so that's a pretty standard theropod body type. The, the, um, the kind of main Megalosaurid you'd think of is Megalosaurus itself, which was actually one of the first dinosaurs ever um, named and discovered here in the UK alongside yeah. Iguanodon. Um, they were more widespread during the Jurassic um, yeah, so that's just a bit of background on Spinosaurus as a group. So uh, let's get into Spinosaurus itself. Let's uh, start by kind of discussing its physical appearance. Um, so in real life, it would have been about 15 to 16 meters long. Yeah. Um, you'll notice during these segments, there's always a, a margin when discussing the length of dinosaurs because uh, fossils are very rarely complete. So there's always a margin of error there. And uh, what I've got listed from the Jurassic Park 3 size chart, which is obviously the film it appeared in, was uh, 14 metres long. So pretty pretty good. In fact, uh, a bit shorter in the movie than what we estimate in real life, which is really yeah. interesting. So when it comes to that length, does that account for... Um obviously the recent tail discoveries as well, because we found that the tail is a lot more important, haven't we? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So there's been a, a, a number of key Spinosaurus discoveries throughout the years. And yeah, perhaps one of the most important ones 
was uh, the discovery of these these tail bones that were found. They were actually found in 2018, but the paper was published this year, yeah. um, in which we discovered that Spinosaurus had what was known as a keeled tail. So that's kind of like what you might see on a like a tadpole almost, <laughs> like a big fin on top of the tail, which suggests that Spinosaurus would have been a swimmer. It's not 100% confirmation, but it's very, very likely. Um, and that's one point for Jurassic Park 3 already because the Spinosaurus swims in that <laughs> <Yes>. movie. <laughs> so they, they kind of predicted that, which is quite impressive. <laughs> yeah, that is quite cool to see. It's interesting how, as it kind of goes back and forth, um, and as we discover some things and then find other things that kind of rub out the things we thought we knew, it kind of goes from accurate to inaccurate back <laughs> to accurate sometimes. Yeah, that's, that's a really, really good point. Um, the uh, Yeah, the, the, the Spinosaurus in Dress Park 3 was actually quite uh, quite good for what we knew at the time about Spinosaurus. It was a bit uh, more on the muscly side than the real one was, probably. The real one has quite a lithe uh, body shape, and its skull was a lot narrower. Uh, the yeah. reason for that we'll, we'll talk about in a bit. But um, I reckon they probably made those decisions so it could uh, it could fight the T-Rex, I would have yeah. thought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think, well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because there's always the speculation with this particular dinosaur as well, that it is actually a hybrid. Um, yeah. So that kind of... I suppose gives them a little bit more in the way of leeway for the design yeah. to be slightly different. Absolutely. And it does kind of give off that vibe, especially when um, you consider it's like behavior compared to the Indominus and Indoraptor of the later yeah. Um So I mentioned earlier that the original Spinosaurus fossil was uh, discovered in 1912. Um, but we didn't know much about Spinosaurus for a very long time, even after that fossil was uh, discovered because it was actually destroyed, uh, completely obliterated in World War II uh, in 1944 from uh, an Allied bombing on a German museum. Um, so for quite a long time, there were illustrations of the Spinosaurus fossils, but lots of the parts were missing, which yeah. meant for a large part of the 20th century, Spinosaurus was reconstructed without its very famous crocodile-like snout. And I think this really relates in like a nice way to Jurassic, because we had that, um, there was a Lost World toy of a Spinosaurus. Do you remember that one, Tom? I am going to have to look it up and see what it looks like. Yeah. So like there was a, a toy release uh, when the Lost World came out of Spinosaurus, obviously before it appeared on screen in the franchise. And it has a rounded... Yo, snap. this thing is weird. <laughs> what? Yeah. Wow. The, the green one. Yeah, whoa. Yeah. yeah. That's so bizarre. So the interesting thing is, the exact shape of the Spinosaurus snout wasn't discovered until the late 90s, uh, 1990s, after being destroyed all those years ago. Yeah. Um, so by the time this toy was manufactured, they didn't know that stuff, which is so, really, really interesting. Yeah. So is this kind of, I guess, them just basing it on other dinosaurs yes. like Megalosaurus and assuming that it would be Absolutely. the same kind of structure to that? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. lots of the other bones in its body were very similar. 
to Megalosaurus. So they kind of use that as a basis in many, many Spinosaurus reconstructions. And this is a great one that links into Jurassic's own history. Um, it also appeared in uh, the Lost World Warpath uh, fighting game that was on PlayStation 1. And a bit of a longer snout on that, but <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was still cool to see Spinosaurus before its JP3 kind of debut, which is yeah. quite cool. Um, and yeah, actually talking about um, like its changing appearance is that um, those spines on which its name is based, uh, those are called neural spines across okay. its back. Um, and the, the main theory is that that would have supported a sail, like how you yeah. see in most reconstructions. In the past, and some people sometimes still speculate that it could have actually been like a hump, a bit like a, a bison. Oh, whoa. Yeah. To, yeah, yeah, to store fat. I think um, in Jurassic World Evolution, you've got the Uranosaurus, which has very similar neural spines. And yeah. in that game, they've given it that kind of hump rather than a sail, which is really interesting. Yeah. Is it so obviously before all of the dinosaurs we had the Permian era. Yeah. And in the Permian era you had synapsids like Dimetrodon. Yeah. yeah Is yeah. there any kind of evolution there where it was like passed down from that? Because I always I remember right before um lockdown started, I saw yeah. a Dimetrodon skeleton at the Horniman yeah. Museum. And just seeing that there's a lot of similarities in the kind of individual spines that are going up through um yeah. yeah that's a really really uh interesting point so the thing is between those creatures those synapses like dimetrodon yeah. um they are really quite far like evolutionary uh, distanced from yeah. dinosaurs um especially spinosaurus which is quite a, a late addition to the dinosaur roster as it were um so that's kind of an example of what some call uh convergent evolution yeah. in which different, very different species from across evolutionary history evolved features that are very similar. And that can be because of a similar environment that they live in, okay. or it could be a similar, uh, what you call an environmental niche, which is like a certain area to specialize in for a creature. Yeah. I think a really, really cool example of convergent evolution is, is wings. They've evolved completely separately in mammals, bats, yeah. and in dinosaurs, birds. Completely separate, yeah. but both have fulfilled the same kind of purpose. So that sail on those synapses and on Spinosaurus and some other dinosaurs is is completely unrelated, but looks so similar. It's really yeah. interesting, isn't it? It is. It's really cool when you see it. It kind of looks like it's just been taken off of one and plopped onto <laughs> the back of the other. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, the reason why we we are pretty certain that it was a sail on spinosaurus instead of a, a hump was because the, um, the 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 neural spines are in quite close proximity to one another. Yeah, and have quite sharp edges on the sides as well, which is more conducive to kind of a thin sail. Um, but a, a really good question is why why does it have a sail like those other yeah. creatures um what sort of ideas have you seen in like museums and stuff so uh, kind of the well there's obviously always the argument about thermoregulation isn't yeah. there yeah. and the fact that different animals have different extensions on their bodies to kind of allow them to um 
better manage their blood temperature. I, yeah. I'm sure I've seen some about it potentially being a kind of countermeasure to stop other predators biting into the back of the Spinosaur. Yeah. Um, although that one, again, I'm not sure if... It, it seems like, um, at least looking at the JP3 one, which I've got standing to the right of me, <laughs> it looks like that would be kind of quite an awkward defensive mechanism because it doesn't really cover much of it. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it is probably, in terms of recent discoveries, a sale for the sake of being a sale. I imagine it would have helped it to navigate kind of rivers and streams in the yeah. environment that it lived in a lot more easier. Yeah, that's a, that's a really, really interesting... Yeah, because that li- links right into the, the discovery of the, of the tail, the very yeah. uh, paddle-like tail. Um, yeah, a lot like um, sailfish, yeah. um, almost, like a, a marlin. And what's really interesting is that as we found more Spinosaurus remains... Uh, we've discovered that the sail's shape is quite different to what was depicted in Jurassic Park 3. Oh, really? Um, yeah, because the, the one in Jurassic Park 3 is kind of like a, like a crescent moon, like a yeah. semicircle shape, when in uh, actuality it was a lot closer in shape to that of a marlin, which is almost rectangular. Yeah. It's got very, very steep uh, edges at near the head and near the tail, but the top of it is actually quite flat, so very, very similar to a sailfish. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that would work quite well at, like, kind of maintaining its, like, orientation as it's, like, swimming through water. Um, another good point is uh, perhaps it had another um, use as uh, display as well. Yeah. Um, a lot like how um, it's theorized for a stegosaurus plates or a triceratops frill yeah. kind of perhaps, as you said, maybe intimidate other carnivores or maybe uh, show off to others of its own species. And I will say the great thing about the Jurassic Park 3 Spinosaurus is that your attention is drawn to the sail because they made it really colourful, which kind of links into this. It's it's a really beautiful pattern on that Jurassic Park 3 one. It's got those like almost iridescent blues in it and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's got loads of different layers that kind of go onto it and make it... They kind of, like, almost outline it, which looks really good. It makes yeah. it really pop. Yeah. Um, yeah, I find that interesting because that's something it said a lot um, when it comes to, obviously, a lot of other animals. Like, I think it was Carifosaurus that I did a Dino Facts Fridays on. Yeah. And they said that they think that the crest on that dinosaur is either used for... Um, acoustic actuity, so like increasing how it can like call out to other people or, or other dinosaurs even, or <laughs> yeah. um, as a part of a mating display. So it seems like there's this common thread that actually these extrusions on these animals may have been more used as part of mating than anything yeah. else, which is quite interesting. That's a really good point. I think that's um, with quite a lot of but dinosaurs are really unique in that loads of them have these weird pieces and things jutting out of their bodies, which just makes them so gnarly looking. Yeah. <laughs> gnarly and, is uh, definitely the word. <laughs> yeah. um, thrown back to that 90s terminology. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, with loads of these things that were initially seen, like the, the triceratops horns and like the pachycephalus or skull, and now we think is like maybe they had a dual use and actually they're very, very useful dis- for display and maybe defense was like a secondary thing. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I think that there is another um, elephant in the room with Spinosaurus uh, in terms of its uh, depiction in the movies yep. and what we now know <laughs> to be in real life. And that is the fact that it was probably a quadruped, which means it walked on all fours in real life. Yeah. Um, this was a crazy discovery that kind of, I would say, rocked the kind of paleontology world yep. in 2014. Because up until then, every theropod we knew was a biped. They walked on two legs, as seen yeah. in you know all the other dinosaurs we see in Jurassic, all the other theropods, apart from the hybrid Indoraptor, which had huge arms. But um, along with that original specimen that was destroyed in 1944 were any kind of remains of the leg bones. And in 2014, they were discovered to be a lot smaller and shorter than was previously thought based on similar dinosaurs like yeah. Baryonyx, for example. So Spinosaurus would have really, really been a lot more similar to a crocodile in the way that it got around um, than a Tyrannosaurus rex, for example. Yeah. There's a lot of debate on this still, isn't there? That yeah. kind of goes back and forth. I know there's a lot of kind of conflicting opinions. Yeah. And I imagine that like, it's entirely possible we could find out in the future that part of the leg bone was just missing and actually there was more to it. Yeah, um, and that's the thing with paleontology as a whole. You kind of you think you've uncovered something and then something else comes along and just like throws a spanner yeah. in the works. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there was when this was first kind of announced, um, there was obviously quite a lot of pushback from the scientific community yeah. because it was so strange. And many people thought, oh, well, those leg bones are probably from a young Spinosaurus that somehow ended up with the rest of it. But they managed to do some sort of analysis that proved that they were from the same individual. But yeah, who knows if this was a, a growth stage or or not. But it's it's looking likely that this was actually how Spinosaurus uh, looked with the, the short legs and the very thick paddle-like tail, which is, it's crazy. I think Spinosaurus is maybe one of the best examples of dinosaurs that have changed throughout yeah. history. Yeah. So... I'm interested in kind of that regard. How much more do you think it would potentially be similar to something like Sarcosuchus, for example? Um, just because obviously that is a prehistoric crocodile. So I'm kind of yeah. trying to picture in my head, how would they like still be distinguished by one another, if right. that makes sense? That's, I, I love this question. <laughs> question. <laughs> so uh, a key thing here is that dinosaurs and crocodilians, very closely related, they both belong to a group called archosaurs, yeah. um, which also includes pterosaurs, flying reptiles as well. Lots of people say flying dinosaur, but I'm sure pretty much everyone listening knows they're not dinosaurs, they are <laughs> archosaurs though. So in the same group as dinosaurs and crocodilians. Now, the main thing that you can look at that separates a crocodilian like Sarcosuchus from a dinosaur like Spinosaurus is their posture. And that's kind of how they hold their legs underneath their body. When you see a crocodile walk, they have their legs splayed out to the side, kind of yeah. dragging their belly along the ground. Uh, the main thing that separates dinosaurs from other 
reptiles like crocodiles i mean there's lots of lots of smaller things but the main thing is that they tuck their legs directly underneath their body yeah a lot more like a modern day mammal does say like a like a dog or a cow they don't drag their bellies on the floor unless they're being lazy <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, so yeah so despite them having many many uh similarities with the long snout the aquatic lifestyle the swimming, there were still these key things that separated a Spinosaurus from its crocodilian relatives. Yeah. Um, but the, it's, it, that perhaps is another great example of that um, convergent evolution, the, the Spinosaurus yeah. snout. It's, it's, it's basically like a, like a gharial, like a crocodile, very, very long, um, which is kind of linked into its behavior um in that and snail like that is showing that it's a specialist diet it specializes in eating fish so uh, yeah piscivore so it's able to dive deep and use its snout to actually get fish that are under the water yeah. um i was kind of gonna backpedal slightly so just to like I suppose give people listening a visual cue. I'm just kind of looking across my shelf. So we're kind of thinking that it would be much more likely to move kind of in a similar fashion to something like Ankylosaurus or Edmontosaurus, where it would be on all fours, but kind of be like moving more in that mammal sense than obviously anything else. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good way of putting it, um, relating it to those other dinosaurs. I think a, a really interesting thing about Spinosaurus, though, is it had massive claws on its hand, yeah. unlike those herbivores. So paleontologists have been trying to figure out how can it walk on all fours and keep those claws sharp. And yeah. uh, some have drawn it walking almost a bit like a, a gorilla with its uh, knuckles touching the ground so the, the claws remain elevated and sharp, which would be really useful. That's like how a velociraptor's claw is raised off the ground to keep it nice and sharp. Yeah. it's one of the most useful tools in a Spinosaurus's kind of toolkit in capturing its prey. But yeah, it's a, it's a great way of putting it. Yeah. That's, it moves probably a lot more like those than a, than a a Tyrannosaurus Rex, for example, which has barely any arms. (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting. So I guess like that's one of the questions that still remains now, isn't it? If it is a quadruped, then what did it do with those claws? And that kind of leads back into the argument of, well, was it definitely a quadruped or was it bipedal? Mm. And I think that it's kind of all those little bits that as you start to dig into an experiment and research those elements, you might actually uncover things that point in a different direction altogether. So it's really interesting Um that you kind of have those sort of like that key latchkey discovery. Yeah. But then that doesn't answer things for definite. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, that's, it's a, it's a really good point. Um, another part of it being a, a quadruped is, um, not just the short legs, but it's in those arms as well. They're for a, for a theropod dinosaur, they're, they're very muscular and long. Yeah. Uh, we can tell they'd be muscular because obviously we, the muscles don't fossilize, but you can see lines on the bones where muscles would attach to a yeah. fossil, to a bone rather. Um, and so muscular forearms, that could be good for bearing the weight of the front half of the dinosaur. But when you couple it with that inner claw, you can kind of get this picture of it using it a bit like a bear does to catch salmon on the riverside. Because yeah. those are animals that are, 
quadrupeds and they can go bipedal probably a bit like spinosaurus could and use that arm to kind of catch fish at the the bank of the river um i think that that's another thing that Jurassic Park 3 didn't 100% do, but the, when the Spinosaurus was swimming, there were those fish. Do you remember that jumped out the water? Yeah. And uh, I can't remember, were they Benitas or something? Yeah, that uh, sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> so who knows? I mean, look, I, I don't know. I didn't write the script for the movie, but perhaps the Spinosaurus was hunting those fish and saw the <laughs> boat and was like, hey, that's a bit better for me. (laughs) (laughs) I like that idea. It was actually just sheer luck that the boat turned up. (laughs) Um, No, I think that's interesting. And I think that kind of when you think about, obviously, the um, prehistoric aquatic wildlife as well, there were a lot of larger fish. So it is entirely possible that, like you're saying, it lifted them out and where they were bigger creatures, so therefore heavier, it's developed that muscle through that action. Yeah, there was was some serious monster fish living in the same time and place as Spinosaurus. So in that Cretaceous North Africa region, there were some massive sawfish um, I believe they were called Onchopristus. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it would it would drag those out of the water probably um, because they we're talking huge. Where imagine like a, a normal size adult lying down, and then uh, <laughs> three of them in a row, and we're talking a fish that big. You yeah. Know, this is this is a proper shark size fish. So um, we actually know for sure that they spinosaurus ate these fish because we found spinosaur teeth lodged in onchopristis fossils which is really really interesting yeah those those are some really cool fossils occasionally when you see direct evidence of a predator prey relationship um and it's those teeth are really really key to its its fish diet is that they're very uh, they're very long and conical, which is like an ice cream cone, rather than yeah. you'd find in a T-Rex or like a Carcharodontosaurus, which lived yep. at the same time and place as a Spinosaurus. They had um, teeth that kind of uh, were um, angled backwards, which are great for kind of ripping and tearing. T-Rex uh, yeah. crushed. Um, but with Spinosaurus, those very long and straight teeth were great for just kind of catching slippery fish and in that long snout uh, they're just great for kind of grabbing onto things that would be really fast and slippery um so those are some of the the key uh things that give away the spinosaur behavior is by yeah. looking at those fossils yeah definitely that makes a lot of sense so it sounds like all in all it's yeah it's it's changed a lot over the years and obviously our perception yeah. of it have changed but i think that we've always got it right in the sense that it mm. is likely to be a dinosaur that would have lived closely to water and would have feasted on fish. So it's interesting yeah. that there's even more evidence now coming to life that seems to support that behaviour. Yeah. And what's really, um, this was really interesting is, especially for me as, as a child, I'd see uh, Spinosaurus aegypticus. Okay, it comes from Egypt. And also they found bones in Morocco and places like that, very arid desert regions and then you hear it eats fish, and you're like, how does that work if it lives in a desert? Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, the Earth is constantly changing, um, as well as the life. Um, so back in the Cretaceous, this area that is now a desert was actually probably a massive, massive swamp. 
Yeah. Um, and there's actually been some chemical analyses. I'm not entirely sure how they work, but uh, uh, analysis of what's called stable oxygen isotopes. And that's uh, the amount of oxygen that's absorbed by a rock, in this case, a fossil. Um, and this kind of gives away that Spinosaurus would have lived in a semi-aquatic kind of environment by examining the amount of oxygen, probably from uh, water that's been absorbed into the fossils after it's died. That was done yeah. in 2010, which is crazy that we can use this technology to find out more about dinosaurs and modern age stuff they just didn't have back when they were making the original Jurassic Park movies. Yeah, it's interesting to think how technology plays such a role in our understanding of these things. Yeah. Um, but I think that kind of paves the way nicely as well, because obviously as the technology has evolved, so has the dinosaurs that we've seen in the films. And there is another Spinosaurid that yes. I hear you have some notes on for us. Yes. So we have the first Spinosaurid that appeared in Jurassic films was Spinosaurus, but also the most recent film, had Baryonyx, uh, yeah. which is a personal favourite of mine. I don't know about you, Tom. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously we've got one at the Natural History Museum in London, yeah. which is awesome. Um, and, yeah, I, I just, I, lo I know a lot of people criticise the design in Fallen Kingdom because they say yeah. it's not very accurate. And I'm sure you can tell me more about that because I don't actually know what it would look like if it was accurate. But yeah. I... I Adore the color scheme for this one. Yes. Like the fact that they went with the darker color scheme means that when it's coming out the tunnel, it just yeah. works so well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have my own thoughts on the, the design used in the film too. <laughs> um, I do agree though, the color scheme is fantastic. It even has that kind of, uh, it's, it's like a, almost like an iridescent blue on yeah. its face, which is really cool. Um, when it comes to dinosaur skin uh, colours, uh, generally speaking, those aren't preserved. I'm saying generally speaking because there have been some really cool cases where they have been preserved, but they're in the minority. Generally yeah. speaking, we don't know the colours of dinosaurs, but in one of those cases, it was the feathers of a dinosaur called Microraptor. I Which thought you were is... about to say the feathers of the baryonyx, and I was oh. going to be like, what? <laughs> what? This is news to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, not out of the question. Uh, no evidence supporting it, but not out of the question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Microraptor was a small dromaeosaur, belonged to the same group as Velociraptor, um, and it had, it had wings. And actually, um, having a look at some of those fossilized impressions of feathers... They managed to deduce that um, some of them were iridescent. So it's not, we have evidence that dinosaurs could be iridescent, which is so cool. I love that. That's awesome. It is. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. I know, I think in um, Camp Cretaceous at Toy Fair, one of their parasaurolophuses is like bioluminescent, yes. which yeah. is quite cool. That is cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing how that plays <laughs> out. In terms of bioluminescence in dinosaurs, we don't have... That's where the, 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 um, the creature generates their own light source as well, not just refracts light, but generates yeah. their own light source. So far in real life, well, in real life, <laughs> in, uh, in our modern world, pretty much only deep sea creatures and some yeah, uh, like insects do that. Fish, isn't it? 
Yeah, 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 lantern, yeah. Yeah, anglerfish, and then stuff like fireflies as well. Yeah. So it happens, and it happens across the animal kingdom. A firefly is very, very different as an insect from an anglerfish, a fish. Yeah. So it's it's not out of the question. Um, but that's really cool. I really like that idea. I think that's going to be some sort of genetic meddling, isn't it? That's gonna yeah, be... potentially, which is yeah. quite cool. Um, so, yeah, so I guess when was Baryonyx discovered? That's yeah. Where, I guess where we can start with this one. Yeah, so um, Baryonyx is um, quite a recent discovery um, in terms of when you think about the golden age of dinosaur discoveries like back in the 1800s in the UK, because it was discovered in the UK. Um, yeah. And it was discovered in 1983. Oh, wow. So, so not too long ago in the grand scheme of things. Like, for example, I think uh, Steven Spielberg was making films by then. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Jaws was already out. Duran uh, Duran was probably playing on the radio <laughs> as a scientist worked on this dinosaur. <laughs> so it's quite a modern discovery. Um and it was it was found actually by an amateur fossil collector in England. So this guy wasn't a paleontologist. Cool. Um, William Walker uh, was his name, and he was just kind of uh, pottering around sorts of quarries and stuff. Um, he, he was doing it in his spare time, which goes to show that you know if you've got a hobby, if we follow it through, you could discover a new dinosaur, which is really cool. <laughs> yeah. um, and the first part he found in this quarry, sticking out of the rock, was the claw. A lot like the Spinosaurus claw, Baryonyx has a really big claw. And yeah. when it was eventually, um, he, he got in touch with the Natural History Museum in London, they came out and helped excavate it and then eventually name it. It was named Heavy Claw. That's what Baryonyx means. Heavy oh, Claw. Cool. Off that first piece. Um, and it's called Baryonyx, Baryonyx Walkery. So it's surname, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> His name is named after the guy who discovered it, which is really, really cool. That is really awesome. Um, I know the claws, like the defining feature of it as well. Well, obviously, you've got the snout as well. Yeah. But I mean, my local museum has got one of the claws from a baryonyx, yeah. and I kind of see them quite frequently across museums. Yeah, absolutely. Now, this is, yeah, it's named after its claw. Its claw's really famous. Now, this is one of the sticking points of the design in Fallen Kingdom in that they reduce its claw size quite a bit. Yeah. In fact, it's you can't really tell that it's there compared to its other it's claws. It's basically normal toes. Like, looking at the yeah. Mattel figure here, it's just kind of normal toenails. They're not really exaggerated claws. Yeah, yeah, because it's meant to be the claw on the, the inner finger, um, okay. a lot like on the, on the, the front... Uh, forearms of the spinosaurus as well oh yeah that's not there at all <laughs> yeah it's yeah it's 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 a really strange decision because it is the key characteristic pretty much of a baryonyx and you'd think yeah. when you're making a movie and you want to make the baryonyx intimidating giving it its famous huge claw would be quite a good move so that that did quite perplex me to be honest i remember seeing that first screenshot of the baryonyx and thinking it was like from behind of it coming out of the tunnel and it looks quite good. But just looking at the hands and being like, where's the claw? Yeah. That was really, really interesting to me. Well, um, Connor, we know what Lego did with their baryonics. <laughs> gave it thumbs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and a toe claw like a velociraptor. Yeah. <laughs> they, I guess they, uh, they overcompensated there. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
But the, yeah, that first fossil of Baryonyx was really, really important. It was the most complete spinosaurid discovered at the time. And uh, it actually had a knock-on effect on what people knew about Spinosaurus because at 1983, that's still in that kind of dark age when they didn't have many remains of Spinosaurus. So finding a similar dinosaur and seeing that had that snout, they were like, oh, cool. So Spinosaurus could have had this snout as well. Um, So actually, Baryonyx helped a lot in what we knew about Spinosaurus at the time. Um, And a little little thing I thought was quite funny, actually, was... um, uh, at the time when it was first discovered in the newspapers, it was nicknamed Claws after that big <laughs> claw, uh, a bit like Jaws, uh, obviously another Spielberg yeah. movie, which I think is quite cool. That eventually ended up in a movie that Spielberg produced, you know. <laughs> it's almost as if it was meant to be. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. So I'm, I'm looking through the notes that you've got as well that I've got yeah. a copy of in front of me. And it looks like this one was a lot smaller than the Spino, which is fascinating. Yeah, yeah. So once again, that's relative. So yeah, it was a lot smaller than Spino. Still a huge animal. Yeah. About We've got estimates estimations between 7.5 to 10 meters long. Um, whereas the Spinosaurus was 16, so the, the Spinosaurus was a lot, a lot longer. Yeah. Um, this thing still, you would not want to. <laughs> you would not <laughs> you want to mess, mess with, with it. it. No. Um, also, um, the the uh, dinosaur protection group uh, materials listed the baryonyx, baryonyx at 9.3 meters long, which is quite good. Yeah. Um, so the one in the film is pretty accurate in terms of size. Uh, so it's quite close to that higher end. Yeah, and I think when you see in The Fallen Kingdom when it snatches that chair from Franklin yeah. and shoves its head through the, through, the, um, through the porthole at the top of the bunker, you could really do get a feel from the size. It's like, yeah, it's a medium-sized carnivorous dinosaur, but it's still huge. <laughs> yeah, it's still got a lot of length to it to be able to stand up through that. Yeah. So I- I'm interested, when it comes to that then... Um, would the baryonics have kind of competed in a very similar environment to the Spinosaurus, or would it have lived somewhere different? That's a really good point. So, um, yeah, so whereas the Spinosaurus was in Africa, this would have been in Europe. We've actually, not just in the UK, we found baryonics fossils also in, I believe, um, Portugal, perhaps. Yeah. Um, but yeah, elsewhere in Europe. And but at the same time, Europe would have been quite swampy, much like Africa. Okay. Um, it would have had, obviously, lots of waterways for it to kind of specialise in eating fish with the claw on its hands and also with its long snout. Um, what's really interesting about that baryonic specimen is that first specimen, it had fossilised fish scales inside its stomach kind of cavity where its stomach would have been in between its its rib bones so that was really cool because it's like well it's proof that it ate fish but also there were bones of a juvenile iguanodon which was a contemporary dinosaur to baryonyx so whether it scavenged the remains or hunted this iguanodon we that's really sure. interesting but yeah yeah because yeah. iguanodon was really well adapted to defend itself wasn't it yes. so yeah oh that is iguanodon really fascinating had that massive uh, thumb claw yeah yeah because when you look at the baryonyx you kind of think like 
with how narrow its neck and its yes. snout is, if yeah. it was to just get clubbed there, it would probably be out for the count. So that's that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I guess that's something that we don't re- really touch on a lot is we focus on the primary groups of dinosaurs, but actually, at the end of the day, they're all carnivores, so they would have scavenged whatever they could have eaten yeah. as well if there were, like, any leftover remains from yeah. battles and things like that. Yeah, when you look at modern-day animals, animals that you traditionally associate, that's a hunter, like a like a lion or something. Yeah. They will just as easily scavenge food if they come across it, and it's not too bad. Uh, in the wild, you take what you can get. So, uh, say the baryonyx either scavenged this juvenile iguandon or came across the juvenile iguandon on its own perhaps and thought i can take this <laughs> that's a yeah. possibility so yeah whereas the the real life baron baryonyx as you said was really quite slender and stuff and it wouldn't have been out of the question say if it was recreated in a more realistic style than in fallen kingdom that it would actually go after people because we have evidence of it not just eating fish so yeah. It's not out of the question. It would have chased people <laughs> if we were given the chance. Um, yeah, yeah uh, that's. I think that maybe is one other thing about its design that I think quite a few people had a sticking point with was that they really bulked it up in the yeah. movie. It's quite a chunky boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, they've given it also almost like a crocodile-like back. It's got those thick like bony scoots they're called where it's like a it's like a bony scale it's got scoots across its back there's no evidence for those but i can kind of see that artistic license there because the the scene and it's its debut its most memorable scene is in that kind of almost looks like a sewer drain you know that big pipe and they're probably going for the whole kind of like sewer gator kind of legend so they thought let's make this dinosaur more crocodile inspired than um it was in real life and i, I actually i think you're probably gonna like this <laughs> i think that it's designed in the movie is kind of more in line what you might see in primeval yeah. um, where they kind yes. of have <laughs> lots of additions like i was listening to um your podcast with Bo, and you said the dracorex from primeval yeah um, that is a dragon <laughs> you know yeah <laughs> given it those horns and almost like those wing like um spines on its back yeah yeah so those really cool stylized dinosaur designs that made that show so cool i think the the baryonyx from fallen kingdom fits in with those really really well i could see that definitely i think i think a baryonyx might have appeared in one of the novels as well oh, i'm no. sure I'm sure it's been associated with Primeval in some way, or it's been mentioned at some point. Because um, I, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but there was a lot of stuff they did off screen with different dinosaurs as well. Yeah. Like, um, I always remember a Stegosaurus in the House of Commons, oh. <laughs> which was really cool. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I guess um, with this, so with Spinosaurus, obviously you mentioned it, it would have lived around with um, Tyrannosaurs and other animals. Um, what kind of dinosaurs were alive at the time Baryonyx was alive? Right, okay. So a, a small correction there is that Spinosaurus lives with uh, Carcharodontosaur. Ah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's my bad. <laughs> yeah, no, no worries, no worries. They're very similar dinosaurs, uh, Tyrannosaurs and that kind of group as well. 
But yeah, so Baryonyx, um, as I said, there was the Iguanodon, which was around the same yeah. time as Baryonyx. Some more armoured herbivores as well, like uh, Polacanthus. Oh, cool. Uh, that was in Walking with Dinosaurs, if anyone's watched that. It's kind of like an Ankylosaurus, but a bit smaller. Yeah, Ankylosaurus was right towards the end of the evolutionary yeah. trap for dinosaurs, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so those those kinds of dinosaurs, yeah, so ankylosaurs, they were they were quite widespread. We'll we'll do an episode on them in the future, I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, so so in that kind of area, traditionally in Europe, you kind of find a lot more um, marine reptile remains because lots yeah. of Europe um, was underwater. But there would have been there would have been other dinosaurs in its in its habitat as well, like that. Okay. Cool. Yeah, um, I think that's a. I think we've covered uh, pretty much everything about these these spines. Yeah, Does that I guess. Like to add? I was going to say maybe it would be nice. Obviously, as anyone who's listening will know, this is um, the first episode of a new, obviously, uh, series. I, I don't want to say series show. There we go. That sounds yeah. better. Um, and obviously, it might be a case of you come on and do your own segments and things like that. Um, so. I, I don't know, do you want to like maybe end with a rating that you could do each episode where you say <laughs> like how accurate is the dino DNA, you know? Like in Jurassic yeah. World Evolution, you get a percentage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a tricky one. <laughs> Controversial. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think. Right. So if we're going off what they knew about these dinosaurs at the time of the, the, the film being made, because it's it's a, maybe a bit unfair to compare the Spinosaurus to this, of two thousand one to the Spinosaurus of two thousand twenty, um, but for for the time that it was made, I say they got like a seventy five on the Spinosaurus mm-hmm. compared to the modern day Spinosaurus. I say about fifty. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, um, that's reasonable. Baryonyx, mm, overall body plan's pretty sound, good size. But then the stumbling on the claws and also the kind of uh, the crocodile-like characteristics and the flatter snout, yeah. I give Baryonyx maybe around a seventy percent uh, for its dino DNA uh, complete genome. Cool, cool. So we have got a seventy, and you said based on evidence at the time, seventy-five for Spino, didn't you? So they're yeah. both very, very close. Cool. Yeah. Sweet. Well, thank you for having me on for this segment, and yeah, I will leave you to round out. <laughs> no worries. Yeah, no, this has been absolutely fantastic. Uh, love to come back on and do more of these because obviously there are many, many species of dinosaurs and prehistoric creatures featured in a Jurassic franchise. Um, I think it would be great if uh, people have any suggestions on what they want to see come up next on potential discussions. So uh, you can go to the Jurassic Park podcast socials on Facebook and Twitter and comment on those, what you might want to see. But we've got some great um, discussions coming up in the future. So stay tuned for more Dino DNA. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you so, so much for listening to the 256th episode of the Jurassic Park Podcast. 
Thank you so much to Annabelle and Gabby for, uh, you know, for watching Jurassic Park at the drive-in and giving us their thoughts as well as their friends that tagged along with them. That is so awesome. I love that segment so, so much. It's so great to hear from from kids, from from people that are very different than me, you know, uh, an old guy here uh, spilling my thoughts on Jurassic Park over the over the years. So it's finally good to get a fresh take on you know a, a film that's that's you know how old is it now? It's like man, it's almost it's getting it's getting towards thirty years old at this point, and it's nice to have a fresh take from people who may not have even seen the movie before. I love that so much. That's what's so special about this segment, Jurassic Kids. So I think it's pretty important to air their thoughts and to let everybody have a voice in in saying what they want to say about this movie. So that's why this podcast and this segment is very special to me. So thank you so much to Gabby and Annabelle and the friends as well. So thank you guys. Also, a huge thanks to Connor for debuting a brand new segment here, Dino DNA. I think it's awesome, guys. Connor, you did a great job on the new segment. I love hearing about dinosaurs. And I've said it before, it's not anything that I really can do for you guys all that much. Um, I, I know Jurassic. I know, you know, I can theorize and I can come up with some stuff and talk to people. But as far as the dino information goes... That's never my strong suit. You know, I'll have to refer to my big chart on the wall to, to tell you what kind of dinosaurs what and, and do all that stuff. But this is the, the standpoint of, you know, people from inside the museum who are educating and all that. And I think I think it's going to be great to get that kind of voice here on the podcast. So it's not about just uh, telling you some dino stuff. It's actually getting to the juicy details about what makes these things different than the counterparts that you see in the film and how, you know, the real life things are just as cool. So thank you to Connor for debuting the segment and also a huge thanks to Tom for joining him. Tom, I know I said something about uh, this earlier in the episode about like the future of Jurassic podcasting is in good hands with Annabelle and Gabby, but man, you know, this guy's also trying to take the reins as well. (laughs) I feel like he is in every episode recently, and I think I said it the uh, the other day that uh, you'll probably hear from him again sometime soon. Well, I'm sure that's also the case as well this week. You know, we're, we'll hear from Tom again very shortly, and you can find him everywhere on the web, so please go check him out in all his work. He does great stuff uh, outside of the podcast and on the podcast, so thank you to Tom for another wonderful episode here. So, I uh, I think that probably wraps it all up here for today it's been fun um but uh yeah thank you so much for listening i hope you are all staying safe out there we have the holidays coming up here uh thanksgiving is right around the corner here this week and i just i hope everybody is staying safe out there and i just wish the best for everybody out there this thanksgiving i know my family uh it's just gonna be the four of us my myself my wife my son and my daughter we're just gonna be having thanksgiving ourselves this year and uh, cooking up uh, not even a traditional Thanksgiving meal. It's just going to be whatever we want. You know, it's that kind of night. I I, uh, I I remember, you know, in the movie Signs, there's, and not to kind of compare the two situations, but, you know, there's a there's a alien outbreak and uh, and they are trapped inside their house and, and, and they're like, you know, what, what kind of food do you guys want? And they, it's just the craziest 
mashup of food because kids pick something and then the adults are picking other random stuff. So I feel like that's probably the kind of event we're going to have this year. It's just a a fun and very different uh, experience for uh, a challenging year. So stay safe out there, be kind to everybody, and most of all, enjoy. I'm going to go ahead and hand it off to myself for the outro. Thanks, everybody. Saddle up. Let's get this movable feast underway. Please give us a follow on Twitter, at Jurassic Park Pod, and myself, at Brad Jost. Also on Facebook and Instagram, at Jurassic Park Podcast. Don't forget to join the Jurassic Park Podcast group on Facebook. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, our website, or wherever else podcasts are found. So please be sure to subscribe. Also, don't miss our toy hunts and reviews, in-depth bonus content, live streams, gameplay, events and theme park coverage, and so much more on our YouTube channel. If you haven't already, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We will read your reviews at the end of every episode, so please be sure to spare no expense. Don't miss us on the web at JurassicParkPodcast.com, where you'll find today's episode show notes, wonderful articles, bios from our contributors, and so much more. If you want to get a hold of us, you can fill out the contact form on our website or email us, JurassicParkPod at gmail.com. We're always looking for new segments, contributors, mailbag submissions, or anybody who just wants to say hello. Feel free to call our voicemail line at any time to leave us a message. That number is 732-825-7763. Thanks for listening, and enjoy. Five minutes. Drop what you're doing and leave now. Okay, team, listen up. We've got a new predator on the loose. Not you, Blue. The predator we're talking about is the coronavirus. Now I'm going to help you spot the main symptoms in the wild. First, watch out for a high fever. Second, a dry cough like this. Third, trouble breathing. It might even sound like this. Whoa, whoa, back up, Blue. Don't forget about social distancing. Keep at least six feet away from anyone you don't live with. Good job, Blue. We all have to be extra vigilant if we want to beat this virus, even if we don't have any symptoms. That means always protecting ourselves and each other, because this virus, it's invisible. It's made up of germs just like these. It could literally be anywhere. It attacks our bodies. Oh, Blue! Hang on, Blue. Drop it. Drop it. It's okay, girl. It's okay. Which brings me to my last point. Always wash your hands thoroughly for at least 20 seconds with soap and warm water. No! Hey, come back here! Remember, we're all in this together. Teamwork is our best defense. Blue, blue, no! Don't eat the soap! Drop that right now! Oh, I should be burping bubbles for a week! <laughs>